everybody. Welcome back to the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. This is episode 21, and I want to welcome you back. Thanks for listening. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe, like, leave a positive review if you could, and share this podcast with others if it's helpful to you. Stick around to the end of the episode. I want to give you a couple of free gifts. This is episode 21. This is part two of the 10 things that you should be doing in every mix. Last week was part one, items one through five. This week is items six through 10. So make sure you go back and listen to episode 20 if you haven't done so already. So get yourself a pad, a paper, pad, paper, pen, <laughs> a cool drink. And let's talk about six through 10 items you should be doing in every mix right here on the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Okay, welcome everyone to episode 21, and we are in season two. And again, this is part two of the 10 things that you should be doing in every mix. Last week, episode 20 was part one, where we talked about items one through five. Here are five more items for you, things that I do in every single mix. And I encourage you to at least try some of these things yourself. It's not only going to help you develop a more effective and streamlined workflow, but it's also going to help you turn out more consistent mixes, which is really what you want to do from one mix to the next. You not only want to get better, but you want things to sound consistent and unique to you. And these 10 things will help you in that direction. So let's jump right in. So number six or of, of our top 10 things is use plugins to add additional sonic character to your mix. Now this really pertains more to people who use third-party plugins. And we talk a lot about in some of my training courses about how you can add additional plugins that add a very special sonic characteristic. So for example, let's say we were mixing a song and we were using an SSL channel strip, okay? <clears throat> and all our tracks are going through the SSL channel strip, through the preamp, the compressor, the EQ, and the output section of that channel strip. Um, and you're doing that, let's say, on all of your tracks, and let's say there's 20 tracks in that session, where we're all going to have that kind of SSL sound because you're running them all through an SSL channel strip. But one trick that I teach and that you can try for yourself is now let's say after our channel strip, maybe we want to add something to a an additional plugin to a couple of the more featured tracks in our song example, the lead vocal, for example, to give that lead vocal a little bit of a sonic difference and a little bit more of an added sonic characteristic compared to the rest of the tracks that are just running through that SSL channel strip. So for example, on a lead vocal after your SSL channel strip, even though you might've done a little bit of compression on that, maybe you're going to add an additional compressor if it's an, if it's a overly dynamic vocal. So yeah, maybe you're compressing it a couple of dB on the SSL channel strip, but now maybe we're going to follow that up with something like, let's say, an 1176 to compress in an additional couple of dB, as opposed to just maybe compressing it 6 dB on the channel strip. Maybe you're going to split that between two compressors, and you may say, why do you want to do that? Well, you can use that second compressor as a sonic characteristic that's different to the rest of the tracks. So that 1176 is going to impart a little bit of a, an EQ shift, a little bit of additional compression, and it's going to make that track sound and stand out from the rest of the mix. Does that make sense? Or if you don't want to talk about a compressor, maybe you use a, a different EQ. Maybe on that lead vocal, you're using a Pultec style EQ. A Pultec style EQ has a very unique sound to it. 
So instead of using the EQ on the SSL channel strip for the lead vocal, I might follow it up with a pull tech instead. I might still run, I would still run it through the SSL channel strip, but maybe I don't use the EQ section. Maybe I'm just using the low cut filter in the compressor, but I'm going to use the pull tech as my EQ for any boosting that I might do right? Or use the SSL channel strip EQ to do my cutting if I'm going to cut any frequencies on that lead vocal, but any boosting I'm going to do, use the pull tech. You understand the concept? Because that's going to make the lead vocal sound a little bit different from the rest of the mix, and you're going to feature that instrument, okay? You could do this on other things other than lead vocals. You can pick a couple of the tracks, and again, I would only recommend that you pick a couple of the different elements. You don't want to splash a bunch of extra plugins across all your tracks because then the uniqueness is gone. Okay. So I hope that kind of makes sense. I talk much more about this in detail in the mixing course that I have mixing with analog style plugins made easy. If you use third-party plugins and you want to learn more about this kind of a concept, I highly recommend that course. And if you stick around to the end of the podcast, you're going to get yourself a discount coupon code that you can use to purchase that course. Okay, so stick around to the end of the episode. <laughs> okay, so using an additional plugin on certain elements of your mix to give it a unique sound characteristic. I do this in every single mix. Okay, that's tip number six. If we're picking up from last week, tip number seven use parallel compression. And Dave, do you have a course on parallel compression? Well, great question, audience. Yes, I do. <laughs> The Power of Parallel Compression is another course you ought to check out. But anyway, using Parallel Compression, I use it on almost every single mix. Parallel Compression is a wonderful tool, and a lot of people associate it with drums. That's where you see it most commonly, where people use Parallel Compression on drums to really get the drums to pop and to get more lively and more punchy. And that's great. But what about using them on every set of instruments? So if you have drums, bass, guitar, vocals, why not use parallel compression on drums, bass, guitar, vocals, and then blend them together with your other tracks without getting into all the detail. Go check out the power of parallel compression course. I show you in detail how to use it, but I will tell you this parallel compression is not only going to add life punch and clarity to your mix. It's going to change the way you think about compression and mixing in general. And I highly recommend that you Try parallel compression on all your instruments, not just drums. Okay. Huge uh, thing that I do in every mix works wonders. It really works well and it changes the game. And I really mean that it changes the game. Go check out the power of parallel compression and you'll learn more about it. Okay. Tip number eight, pan your instruments to create space within your mix. Panning will allow things like your kick, your snare, your bass, and your lead vocal to sit in the center of the mix and give the mix an overall sense of width, okay? So you want to pan things like guitars, keyboards, horns, maybe some percussion, shakers, tambourines, anything else that you might have in the mix, different sound effects, and leave the center of your mix for your kick, snare, bass, vocal, okay? Pan background vocals as well. Now, you may say, oh, that's not really, you know, that's pretty obvious. I mean, that's been around that, you know, most people do that. But here's another pro tip for you. You can also um, automate the panning. So, for example, during the verses, let's say, maybe you pan your guitars. Instead of going hard left, hard right, maybe you pan those two guitars 50% to the left, 50% to the right during the verses. But then during the choruses or the last chorus of the song, 
you can pan, you can automate it so those guitars are now panned 100% left and right to give the mix a sense of changing, a sense of bigger width during those key moments of the song, typically the chorus. So start thinking about it that way, not just simply panning. And some people will just pan either left, right, or center. I know a lot of mixers that do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I tend to not pers- uh, subscribe to that. I tend to say, no, use the whole thing, you know, use 50%, 40%, you know, use all of left, right, and center, not just left, right, center, because you can do things like automation. You can spread things out more, right? If I have things like keyboards, horns, and distorted electric guitars or acoustic guitars all in my mix, if I pan them all to the left and to the right, they're clouding up all in the left and the right. But if I put my guitar, maybe my acoustic guitar 50% over, maybe my electric guitar 100% over, maybe my horn section 70%, I'm spreading it across that free, across the stereo field. And therefore, I'm creating some, some separate space for those different parts of the, of the band, of the instrumentation. And therefore, you're going to have a, a larger sense of width. And again, every mix is different. All your program material is going to change a little bit. But those are general rules of thumb, or rules of thumb, is to pan your stuff. And then during um, the verses to the choruses, maybe you can automate some of that as well. Okay, so that's another tip. So that's tip number eight. I don't do that in every single mix, but that's something you want to consider, even though this is called 10 things you should do in every mix. I don't automate the panning in every mix. Depends on the track, but it's a good tip for you nevertheless. Okay, number nine, use reverb and delay to create space and depth. Using several reverbs and delays in small amounts as opposed to a single reverb or a single delay that is way too loud in the mix, don't overdo it. I do this a lot on lead vocals. If you've watched any of my mixing courses, you'll see that on lead vocals, as opposed to just dropping a reverb on it and making it way too obvious in the mix or a delay, I use a delay and then three reverbs after that delay on that lead vocal. So I have a delay going into a reverb, going to a reverb, going into a reverb. And those reverbs are, the first reverb is a room or a small reverb. The second reverb is a plate and the third is typically a hall. Okay. And what that does is I send that lead vocal to the delay. Usually it's a subtle delay, like an eighth note or like a slap back. And then I send it to the room little bit of room, not too much to the plate, a little bit of plate, not too much, a little bit of hall, not too much. And what that does is it gives my vocal a sense of size and depth and width. And it doesn't sound like I just took a bucket of reverb and dropped it on top of the vocal. <clears throat> okay. When you listen to most popular music, most, there's exceptions to this. And you really listen to the lead vocal tracks, unless it's like a piano ballad or something, but most popular mid-tempo, up-tempo music, the reverb on the lead vocal is not overly done or the delay on the read on the lead vocals are typically not overdone. They're done very subtly. And a lot of times you even have a hard time hearing where the reverb and the delay is. Okay, most people don't realize that. This is why you should be using reference tracks. <laughs> But when you listen to reference tracks, unless it's like a single vocal piano or a single vocal acoustic guitar where they want that sense of space, that's different. But for more mid-tempo, up-tempo stuff in popular music, the reverbs and the delays are not overly used. They're used very tastefully and they're used subtly. And one way to do that is to use several of them and stack them in small doses and don't overdo it on any one. 
And again, you can go check out the, uh, I have a couple of, of, of videos on our YouTube channel talking about that on vocals, and you can apply that same concept to guitars, drums, or anything else. Okay, so using reverbs and delays, but use small amounts of them and use several of them is tip number nine. And then last tip for this uh, 10 tip series here is automation. Use automation. Automation gives a mix a more professional feel. Don't be afraid to use it. Now, this is one thing I will say, <clears throat> excuse me, that in my courses, because most of my courses are, are geared towards beginners and intermediates, I don't haven't covered a lot of automation up to this point, year 2021. And I need to do that more in the future for my more advanced students. And the reason why I haven't covered it as much is because before you talk about automation, we really got to get people to understand the basic fundamentals and get a basic foundation of mixing concepts, EQ, compression. How do we use third-party plugins and analog-style plugins and all the things we talk about to get a good, solid, well-balanced, with clarity mix before we start talking about automating. But once you get a good mix and your mix is done and it sounds great, automation is a way to take it over the line that last 5%. Doing things such as, you know, uh, there's a whole bunch of different things you can automate, but highlighting different areas or different instrumentations of the mix throughout different sections of the song. So one common one, for example, is the verses may be um, a dB or two quieter than the choruses. Or the first verse may be at a certain audible level and the second, you know, the first chorus may be bumped up a little louder. The second verse may be bumped up a little louder and they may bump up one dB throughout the entire song. So by the time you get to the last chorus, it's like jumping out of the speakers. And because it is such a subtle increase in automation volume, the listener really doesn't realize it got louder, but it did. It just sounds bigger. That's one common thing to do. Or automating things like a guitar solo, right? bumping up that guitar solo a couple, two, three dB during the guitar solo. And then when the guitar solo is over, lowering that track back down to its proper level so it sits well in the mix. Um, if you have a bridge section, which is more percussive heavy, maybe there's some big tom fills automating the tom tracks so they come up or automating the room mics during the breakdown and you really want the drums to pop. Those are just three examples and every mix is going to be different, but finding areas of your mix that you want to highlight and you want to make jump out of the speakers and pop, automation is the way to do it. Things like automating panning, like we talked about a, a couple of tips ago, panning things during different sections of the songs, that's automation. Even automating things like uh, turning plugins on and off, uh, where let's say if you had an EQ on your master bus as the last plugin in your chain before maybe your taint machine, maybe during the choruses you you bump up the top end of a mix so it sounds a little bit brighter with a little bit more clarity. You can just automate that one plugin to turn on and off during the choruses, you see? Or maybe shaping the choruses slightly from an EQ perspective and just automating them and turning it on and off. Again, I could go on forever. There's lots of examples of this, but really starting to think about automation. Now, when you first start using automation, I will say, <clears throat> pardon me, that you want to start slow. And again, like with a, like with everything we talk about, you don't want to overdo it and automate the heck out of everything. You don't want to confuse the listener, right? You want to do things subtle. You want to do automation in a way where they don't even know the listener. I mean, those things are being automated. So when you first start with automation, just pick one 
or two things to highlight, okay? And try that. And again, be subtle. You don't want huge sonic differences. You don't want huge volume swings. You want things to be done subtle that highlights different things in the mix. And you only want to start with maybe a couple of elements. And as you get better and more creative with automation, you can start to add more things, but you don't want to overdo it. Just like everything else in mixing, right? You want to do things in a way that's not way overdone and way too obvious, okay? And again, using reference tracks will really help you listening to other commercial releases, mixes by, you know, world-class engineers. You can start to see how they do things and you can kind of copy their style until you develop your own style. Okay, so I hope those five tips were helpful. And again, over last week and this week, we have 10 tips that you should be doing in every mix. And this is really, again, gonna help you with your workflow. It's gonna help you turn out more consistent mixes. And more importantly, it's gonna help you develop, start to develop your own style of mixing to have your own sonic characteristic and sound. Every mixer is a little bit different in the way we apply all these concepts, tools, tips, and tricks, and things like that will make your mix sound different from my mix. And that's the beauty of this stuff is that we all have some uniqueness about us and we should uh, embrace that and strive for that so you can sound different from other people and people will, will gravitate towards your style of mixing because they like your sound. Okay. So once again, if you found this podcast helpful to you in any way, please like subscribe, leave a nice review for me. If you would share this with others, it really does help me. Now, as I said in the beginning, I want to give you guys a couple of free gifts. First thing I want you to do is go out to homerecordingmadeeasy.com. If you have not done so in the past, get your free mixing course. It is right on the homepage. Get it today. I talk more about these concepts in that free course for you. Also, I mentioned a couple of training courses in this podcast episode, and I want to give you a coupon code so you can get a discount on any course on the website. The coupon code is podcast30. You use that at checkout. That'll take 30% off any course on the website. Go check that out. So you can check out some of these other courses to get some additional training. And again, we're talking about mixing the last couple of weeks here. And if you really love mixing and you're really interested in mixing and you really want to get better at the craft of mixing and you want to learn it in a non-technical way, and more importantly, you want to join a community of home recording musicians and aspiring audio engineers to get better at the craft of mixing, then I invite you to take a look at mixingmadeeasy.net. That's mixingmadeeasy.net. Links are in the show notes below and check out what I have going on over there. So until next week's episode, I've been Dave with homerecordingmadeeasy.com and mixingmadeeasy.net. Thank you so much for joining me for another podcast episode. And I will listen, I will listen, I will speak to you all next week. Take care, everybody. Take care.